Greetings and welcome. If you haven't heard of Spotify for Podcasters, it's the easiest way to create and publish your podcast. It's free. That's right. It's free to download. It has built-in tools that will allow you to record and edit your podcast from your cell phone or any smart device. Spotify for Podcasters also distributes your podcast on virtually any platform that streams podcasts like Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Apple and Google Podcasts, and much more. You can even monetize your podcast with no minimum listeners. Spotify for Podcasters is your one-stop app for podcasting. Remember, it's free. to the Trigger Warning Talk podcast, where we have uncensored conversations, we exchange information, we provide a ton of resources. What we don't do is no therapy. No therapy at all, no therapy allowed. We're not going to talk about doing therapy on this podcast, but we do offer resources for therapy. If you are triggered at any point during this podcast, please, first and foremost, call 911. That's your initial first point of contact for EMS, fire, PD. We have a ton of resources that are going to be listed in the audio and the video portion of this interview, just like we have in every episode and every podcast that we do. So if you need help with domestic violence, traffic, sexual abuse. We have those numbers and their websites. If you need help with substance abuse issues, whether it be alcohol, whether it be any drugs, we have Alcoholics Anonymous, we have Narcotics Anonymous, and for those that are supportive of those individuals, we have Al-Anon. There's also some other resources that we're going to provide for you. So if you need to contact us, we are available at TriggerWarningTalkPodcast at gmail.com. You can always reach out to me through that email address. And we're going to have a great conversation today. This podcast is streamed everywhere that you get your favorite podcast. We are there. I have an extremely important guest who's joining us on the show today. She is... My friend, Coach Love, better known as, this is Lovinia Barkley. She's a certified master life coach. She is an author of three books. She's a speaker who specializes in creating safe spaces for men. Today's going to be a great show. And she creates these, these safe spaces for men to be enlightened, encouraged, empowered, and elevated through their hard work journey. So that remember that word, hard work. She regularly participates in forums focused on mental health and self-love. And her mantra is, I am love. She is steadfast in her mission to help others realize this truth for themselves. And this too is why she believes it takes more heart than talent to truly thrive in our journeys. The heart work specialist, Coach Love, welcome to the Trigger Warning Talk podcast. We are so delighted to have you here on the show today. I just want to thank you so much for everything that you are doing with men, because that's important, because men do a lot of things that are not helpful to them, and some of that is because of how they were trained, how they were taught. Who raised you? As uh, our fellow comedian, our brother T.K. Kirkland says, who raised you? That's a great question. 
question. We're going to get into that, but I want to give you the mic because I want you to give us a little bit about yourself before we just jump into it because this is going to be some heavy stuff. And again, if you're triggered, please call 911. Coach Love, what's going on? Hey, King LP. Thank you so much for having me here. Let me first say that I certainly appreciate the opportunity to just share some space with you. Um, again, the goal we hope is that someone will feel enlightened and feel encouraged and feel that they can continue this journey because I know it's not an easy one to navigate. We're here to make sure that um, you get information and resources that keep you going. Absolutely. Um, I do, uh, I do uh, spend a lot of time very intentionally uh, looking for new information and, and researching new information because um, I definitely uh, have come to the realization that there are a lot of resources that are missing from it um, in young boys in the space of mental, emotional, and spiritual health. So I'm, I'm on like this huge crusade, you know, to make sure that if nothing else, that it, when young men and um, boys find their way to me, um, that there's definitely some information and some uh, space that I can create for them. Uh, because oftentimes that is missing in, in, in the man's journey. So my hope is that I'll continue to be a resource. And my hope is also that you, if you find that you don't require a space at this time, that you'll be willing to refer someone um, to me if you find that they need me as a resource. I'm awesome. more than happy to be that. Um, I take the work that I do very seriously. I'm a forever student. People say that I'm great at teaching, but it's because I've learned to be a phenomenal student first, and I always will be. Um, we are ever evolving beings, so there's always something new to learn, um, always something new to share. And again, thank you, King OP, for having me here today. I look forward to our conversation. Let's jump into it. You focus as a mental health profession, as a certified master life coach, your work focuses primarily on men. Yes. Why is that? Necessity, also divine intervention. I certainly could not have guessed when I was a young girl or even a younger woman that I would find my way into a space that only very specific uh, caters to the male population. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it's a unique space to be in, um, but I find that it's absolutely necessary. And one thing I realize is that the society and culture advocates all the things that are necessary that are like necessary for mental, emotional, spiritual health for women. But there's not a lot of, not a lot of conversation, not a lot, not enough, I'll say, not enough resources and conversation and information being made available to boys and men. And I find that just so disheartening because society and culture is charging men to be so great, but we're not actually fully equipping you guys with what you need to be that. So, you know, I'm, I'm here to add my, my two cents which is a very big two cents, I might add, um, to make sure that there's a different narrative that's created for boys and men in that space. What ages do you work with men? men? Um, I've had clients that were as young as my son, um, 11, and I've had clients that were old enough to be my father. You know, there is no, I don't particularly have like a set age that I specify because the reality is that if a young man or a boy or an older man finds that they need a resource, if someone sends them, um, if someone refers them to me, I'm not going to be the person that turns them away. Okay. You call yourself the hard work specialist. Tell us about that. The premise is that um, initially I thought of the word hard work. I'm sure people have heard people say hard work many times. But one thing I realized is very specific about doing our hard work is that, especially for men, is that sometime throughout your lifetime, your heart has been transitioned away from the original concept of love. When you're born into this world, you innately know what love is. But life and experiences changes that for you. So my goal when I'm saying that I'm the hard work specialist is to work with you very um, intentionally to recondition your heart back to its original character of love. And then that, the hope is that you'll now also learn how to be gentle for yourself because 
again, historically speaking, uh, culturally and societally, where men are taught to be gentlemen, one word, but that usually is under the uh, preface that they focus or allow other people to be uh, the priority first. Um, my goal when I'm teaching through the hard work courses and through the hard work work that we do together is to teach you that as a boy or as a man, that it's okay, it's absolutely necessary, as a matter of fact, for you to actually make yourself the priority first. So in that, we're teaching you how to be gentle with yourself. So now gentleman becomes two separate words because you need to understand what it means to fully be gentle and how you care for yourself as a man. And most often, um, you haven't been taught that. So my the, the goal is to teach you how to be that for yourself so that you can thrive in a way that's much more beneficial and healthy to your original character. The gentle man. I love that. And when I, I saw that, I thought it makes a difference when you say it. Because men typically, I remember, and I, I've said this many times on other platforms and in different episodes of the Trigger Woman Talk podcast, men are taught emotional suppression almost at birth. Mm -hmm. I think the only time I would say that men typically are allowed to cry is when you get that first slap on the butt after birth. After that, right. it's like, nope. Mm -mm. And I've told the story before that I've had relatives, male relatives, older relatives as a kid when I was growing up who told me specifically, like, there's only a certain number of reasons why a male, whether you're a boy or a man, should cry. I was told that, you know, you had to be crushed between a couple of cars, falling off a multi-story building, have a bone protruding out of your skin. Somebody had to be dying or dead. Or you, or you would have had to won or lost some major sporting event. Anything outside of that, it's not allowed. It's not acceptable. It's not looked upon greatly. You would be considered a sissy or a punk or, you know, some other negative connotation. And so for me, when I talk to other men who have boys and, you know, forgive me for not being PC as far as the gender identity, whatever your gender identity is, I'm just talking about young men right now. I tell them, if you come to that young man with that mentality, you're potentially going to destroy his life. And I lay it all out. That can potentially kill that person emotionally, mentally, spiritually, financially. You can ruin that young man's entire life. We have to understand that words do hurt and words matter. And so it doesn't mean... There's all kind of ways to toughen up any human being, all kind of ways, with words also. So let's stop destroying our young men and our boys with the words that we use. Let's start building them up and strengthening them in better ways. As a life coach, when you're meeting with these men and these young men, what are some of the main traumas that they are telling you that they've experienced? Oh, that's, that's heavy, uh, King LP. Um, let me first speak to what you just said about the words, um, because that's a very important aspect of conditioning. You know, we hear certain words and we associate those words with very specific meaning. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I, I always say it's like once you know a thing, you can't unknow it. Right. So right. once you hear um, particular words and you associate those words with meanings, it's really difficult to now not associate those words and meanings when you hear those words in your life. Um, and I think it's very important that we have that conversation, that we need to educate ourselves on healthier word choices. Um, a lot of times, just in passing, in personal experience and professionally, when I hear some of the words that men use, just in how they, especially with how they talk about themselves, 
and even sometimes how they regard each other it's very unhealthy but if you've never been if it's never been shared with you the perspective that you know this particular word or these word choices the tone that you are also associating with the word choices are unhealthy and are having such an impact on your conditioning overall then you continue to do that. I think it's very important that you made that statement and it starts very early. The sooner that you can have healthier conversations with your children and with your significant other, you know, with your friends, with your family, with any boy or man that you're associated with, um, the better. There is a way to change that. You know, what we've always known to be true does not mean that everything that we've known has always been right. Um, I think it's good that we're having this conversation to definitely change the narrative around that. And then as far as, you know, the conversations I have, I hold those conversations, um, those sessions that I have with the boys and men, um, very sacred because oftentimes I'm that first resource. And the one thing that I purposely, um, very intentionally choose not to do is to, um, take away from that experience in any way that could be unhealthy. I do not believe in manipulation of information. I do not believe in just inadvertently sharing private information because that is adding more to the narrative of men not being regarded as such high value beings and that how they feel and what they think and that those that, that all those things matter. So I just I like to make sure that the space is as safe as it can be. And then those conversations vary from so many different things. In general there's conversation about uh, emotional abuse. There's conversation about physical abuses. And there's a very high percentage of conversation about sexual abuse. Many times people don't believe that boys and men are abused in the first place. You know, we just like to assume that because, you know, of the conditioning that boys and men are these really strong beings that have never, ever experienced any kind of trauma. If they have, they've just kind of taken it on the chin and it's built their character. Um, but we're not realizing that a lot of times boys and men are in such a debilitating condition, um, so much so that they choose things like we, like we spoke about in the beginning, about having things that kind of create sort of an escape for you. You become addicted to things like drugs and alcohol. You have really unhealthy habits. You know, people think that, the way we respond to things in life, that that's a natural response. Um, when you've been traumatized for a greater portion of your life, those responses are, they're natural because of your conditioning, but they're not natural to your being. But you're responding in that way or reacting in that way because you haven't been taught that there's any other way for you to respond as a boy. So I just try to make sure that those conversations are as open as they possibly can be. Um, and I leave space for the men to decide, you know, what they want to disclose and if that takes a certain amount of time, so be it. Because it's necessary to always, 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 and I'll say this as, as clearly as I can, give yourself grace. As a boy, as a man, always give yourself grace. It's not easy to even sit with someone else outside of yourself and disclose such very uh, vulnerable and, and transparent information. But in that, just give yourself grace. Don't force yourself and don't make it seem as if there's going to be some kind of judgment there because I, I believe in a no judgment zone. I always say it's a judgment free zone, but it's, it's okay to have those conversations. And I think that's the beginning of it. Just acknowledging that it's okay for you to actually vocalize and verbalize the thoughts and the feelings that you've had about the experiences you've had in your life. And like I said, those variances go across the board. I wish that was not the case, but that's the reality of it. And those hard conversations have to be had. And there has to be some, some warmness incorporated in that because it's very difficult to suddenly decide to not any longer suppress 
who you've been all your life. So it's a hard conversation. The energy is very intense and it's necessary. So we do what we have to do in those sessions. And the goal is that you come out being better, not doing better because we're not human beings, we're human beings, but that you come out being better than you've been prior to those conversations. This is the Trigger Warning Talk podcast. We want to thank you so much, so much for all the words that you are sharing with us. I want to jump right into the thick of this conversation because when we talk about abuse, men don't typically want to talk about certain abuses. And those are related to sexually based offenses and domestic violence in terms of the man being person who's receiving the domestic violence, not the offender. They're the ones right. that are being assaulted. They're the ones that are being battered physically, verbally, all all across the spectrum of DV. So I want you to enlighten us on those conversations and those interactions with your clients in regards to domestic violence and sexual trauma. Because for me, I know that all the guys that I talk to from the different men's groups that I'm a part of, like on Clubhouse and other platforms, when we have these discussions, that's kind of one of the quietest periods when we have these discussions. Those are where I can, I call them the iceberg conversations. You'll get 10% of that conversation only. The 90% is where the shame and the guilt and the judgment and the pain and the trauma, all of that stuff is. And so I always say, let's flip that iceberg upside down. Let's get some scuba gear and deep dive into it. Let's jump right into that. For you being a certified life coach, when you're talking to these men and these young men about domestic violence, let's start with that. Those conversations, those conversations have to be like gut-wrenching for you as well as the men. Because I know with the men, a lot of times we're looked at primarily and almost, I would say 99% of the time, we're looked at as the offender. And in a lot of cases, we are. What say you about that? There's there's a there's a great truth in that. More often than I think people realize, young boys and men are actually the victims of domestic violence. I think, of course, part of that happens through their conditioning. You know, when you're younger and you're taught to suppress your feelings and not to express any of your feelings, particularly like anger or any level of like sensitivity, you kind of desensitize yourself. You become really numb to, to feeling, let alone expressing it. Um, but then there's also this thing, particularly um, if we're going to, we're really going to get into it culturally for men that are melanated, there's like this big stigma that like you guys are monsters. So there's always this idea that however you're feeling, you have to suppress that. And sometimes in that suppression, though, um, because of the fear of what the the outcome could be or the consequence, because you choose to express yourself, some men are more afraid of that than they are of in the moment just sitting and allowing themselves to be victimized. Just because, think about it, there's already such a really high incarceration rate within our community. So if your thought in the moment is that, you know, if I react or I even remotely respond to what this girl or woman is doing to me right in the moment, I could spend the next 10 or 15 years of my life in jail. And then you know what other door that's going to open. A lot of times men that are incarcerated, and especially young boys and men that are incarcerated, they're more often than we realize again, subjected to sexual abuse um, and sexual violence. So when you think of the big picture, it's not a pretty one. So sometimes you, as a, as a boy or as a man, they're minimizing themselves in the moment because the big picture that they have is much more scary than the fact that right in the moment, this person could be belittling them 
or physically assaulting them because they know, you know, there's this saying, you know, you know, outcomes the beast. They know in that moment, if they really choose to respond the way they may really innately feel, there's a heavier price to pay. So unfortunately, again, they did, they allow themselves to be the victim. And over time, you know, of course, if you've done that for several years and for most of your life, you know, you did that as a child and then now you're an adult that's doing the same thing. That is definitely impacting your mental, emotional, and spiritual energy um, because you're really not being allowed to live out as you innately are as a boy or a man. Um, so that becomes very difficult to even have a conversation about. Those conversations, again, are very heavy, very intense. And there are many times, most often after sessions, I have to kind of like decompress because there's a lot of things, there's a lot of information and a lot of energy being exchanged in those moments. And it, it, it's very hard because you don't know, you know, where the conversation is going to go. You know how the conversation starts. I know what questions I ask, but I never know exactly where the conversation is going to go. And sometimes it's, it's very difficult to just even listen just because, you know, I, I'm a very um, empathetic person. Sure. Um, I Absolutely. always have been. So, you know, you try not to, I know not to internalize the information, but just as a human being, I never, you can't imagine the amount of suffering that men and boys endure throughout their lifetime. It's, it's almost unreal. I had a conversation recently with a friend of mine who actually talked about his journey through domestic violence as the perpetrator. And I also have another guy, a friend of mine, who talked about his journey through domestic violence as being the victim multiple times. And I say victim because that's the word he used. And we're going to talk about terminology also, because I always love hearing... And we talked about this before, but I always love hearing how people define that word for them, whether it's victim, survivor, and we'll get into that. Mm -hmm. Those two conversations were on polar opposite ends, but these were men who were talking about how they became either the perpetrator, how they became someone who was victimized by it, and they all met in the middle. Absolutely. And what I found out was the commonality between those men was the trauma that they faced as boys growing up in households that didn't fester the gentleness, that didn't fester the the true love that you want to give to your children. Because they were boys, that emotional Mm -hmm. suppression, teaching kicked in. Because they were boys. Figure it out on your own. Do it the way I'm showing you how. It's almost like do as I say, but not as I do type of environment that we know does not work at all, never has, and never will. Absolutely. In your line of work as a subject matter expert, when you're talking with these males, boys and men, I want to jump to the sexual trauma, but I want to go back to the domestic violence because all of that is relative to me. Like it's all under that. It's all part of each other. For those that talk to you about being sexually traumatized, do you tend to have the conversations with them where they really open or do you really got to pull it out of them? Um, it depends. Uh, just because one thing about, especially just, culturally in the in this country or probably across the globe at this point because a lot of the conversations we're having these are global issues men in every part of the world have suffered you know it's not just american men it's not just um black and brown men men in every part of the world boys in every part of the world suffer the reality is that one thing about the sexual trauma is that we still live in a society where people believe that somehow their business 
your you know what your as a boy and a man what your sexual preference is based on that you may get treated a certain way okay. we realize how people are marginalized just because of who they are and that could come from so many different uh different perspectives but the reality is just because of that association again you know words matter um if someone is calling you a certain name or saying that you're less than or you're not to be valued or regarded as such because of this particular preference that you have, that's something that you don't always feel comfortable disclosing as a boy. And the thing that comes of that is that a lot of times, because a lot of the men that I spoke to, as you said, they were traumatized in their childhood. So they grew up already hearing that, you know, if regardless of whether they consented to the experience or not, they've now been abused or traumatized in some way sexually. And they ref- they almost refuse to ever talk about it because there's this thought, well, if you've had sexual experiences with another man or another boy, you're now labeled as this. So people identify with that. Men are regarded in such a way that if that's the case for them, there's going to be another higher level and more intense level of marginalization again, because people don't want to have those hard conversations. You know, so sometimes, again, they're suppressing themselves, they're suppressing information about themselves because they're worried about, well, what is so-and-so going to think? Am I now going to get treated differently? There's a level of very literal, physical, outright judgment that people display when they know certain pieces of information about you as a boy or a man. So that comes up a lot. And those are actually, those conversations are typically much harder for the men to have than some of the domestic violence conversations. Just because, again, the information that's associated with being sexually abused as a boy or a man. And it's sometimes people think that sometimes the men that I've talked to, they haven't disclosed because they thought nobody would believe them. Um, That's a reality. That's a real thing. I think we sometimes just assume that certain traumas only happen to little girls or women. Mm -hmm. Um, When the reality is there's a very high number of boys and men. If they were willing to actually disclose, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if those numbers surpass what girls and women report. Just because of the nature of what it is. Really, because there's a very high, again, a very high level of suppression about that information. We just assume because people don't talk about that much that that must mean it doesn't happen at all. It happens more than we even realize. There's a real thing in families where children are sexually abused by other family members. They call that incest. There are other times where they're actually sexually abused by people that are related to the family. Um, And then you get older and then experiences happen. If you make a poor choice, especially, you know, as a young man, you may end up being incarcerated. You may end up being sent to a boarding school. You may end up being sent to somewhere where you're not going to be around people that can necessarily protect you. And you may now be in a situation where you're now sexually assaulted or abused again. Um, And if that's happened several times in your life and then still in the back of your mind, you're fighting with your own identity just based on all the other things you have to deal with societally and culturally. It gets really hard and almost downright just confusing to even recognize yourself and try to realize who you really are because you're not ever really given the opportunity to really be yourself as a boy or a man. So there's always some level of suppression and struggle with identity just based on, you know, what you experience as a child and what you experience, you know, in society and culture. Unfortunately, there's a lot of unhealthy narratives that are created around sexual, just around sexuality, period. And then again, around sexual abuse and sexual trauma. So you can imagine any extreme that you can think of that you've heard someone share about a girl or a woman. There have been some things that are beyond that boys and men have endured. And I can't imagine how they've even managed to just courageously continue to to live out the to try to live out their lives 
just walking around suppressing that kind of information and energy all the time. It's it's amazing and it's heartbreaking at the same time. Going back to domestic violence with the sexual trauma, I wonder if those males that you talk with when they're having this discussion with you, are they like sitting on the edge of the seat? Or are they talking with like clenched teeth? Are they having palpitations going on, even though their hand might be strong and steady? Are they like, is their back sweating? Because these conversations have to be like, I'm sure you see all of that. I'm sure you see all of that. And Mm -hmm. how do you address that anxiety when you're having these client provider sessions? So this is, this is the thing. Those, in those moments, the realness of that has to, that has to happen. Sure. Because more often before that moment, they've probably never even allowed themselves to be in that moment where they were, you know, disclosing all this information and even allowing themselves to feel how they're feeling and, you know, those responses are natural responses. That's a very heightened moment of vulnerability and transparency. Those are natural human responses when you're having a conversation about trauma and being abused. So I don't really look to like address it in the space of, okay, well, you shouldn't be clenching your teeth or you shouldn't be. I'm more or less saying to them, however you're feeling, allow yourself to feel that. Don't hold that part back. I've shared with you probably that I typically say to women, if you're not ready to be fully honest, and fully transparent about your experience, then it's not a time for us to have a conversation. Absolutely. If you're not ready to literally break yourself wide open, it's not time for us to have a conversation. And I also say to them, if you're a man that does not believe that you're supposed to cry, then you are certainly going to be, you're going to be upset with me probably at the end of our session because you are going to cry. I do not, I, my preference is that when you get to this space, when we finally create this safe space for you, that you feel so safe here, that you open yourself all the way up. So whatever comes of that, I'm going to fully allow you to live in that moment. So if that means that you're screaming, you're crying, you're maybe, sometimes you, you may not stay on the chair. You know, sometimes you may be standing. Sometimes your back is against the wall. Sometimes you're on the floor. Sometimes you may end up curled up in the ball. Okay. You just never know what how that's going to come out, especially with young boys, because a lot of times they're so emotionally overwhelmed, they don't even know how to express what's happening on the inside, you know? And then the men, I find, again, there are some moments where they're still trying to suppress it because they just don't want to be seen in such a vulnerable state. But typically, we find our way to those moments and they happen. They're very um, difficult moments. But I find that the man is much better. The young boy is much better on the other side of those moments. So the only addressing that happens is that I'm saying to you, you are fully allowed to do exactly what you're doing in this moment, especially if it's your first time ever even having this kind of conversation. As a woman talking to these men about these domestic violence and sexual-based offenses, how do you prepare for those conversations? I do a lot in the space of, you know, personally developing myself. I do a lot of things that are just necessary for me to even function in the, the energy that I live in most times. I have to do things like meditate. I have to also, I have a several journals that I keep. I do a lot of writing um, to release information that, because, you know, some information, all information is not meant for you to hold on to. So I'm always constantly finding ways to release and reset my energy, reset my mind. The only other thing is that I just allow myself to always just show up and present the energy that, that emanates love because a lot of times in the moment, that's something that these boys and men need. They need to know that this is a loving space. And people say like, well, how are you able to create that? Or, or is that really necessary? 
you know, people wonder if you're crossing some kind of professional boundary. During the pandemic, I had a lot of virtual sessions, but I'm soon transitioning back to in-person sessions. And in those sessions, there is sometimes some physical touch just to offer some level of comfort because it's very, very difficult to have those kind of moments. So for me, sometimes there's a lot of hand holding. There's a lot of, uh, sometimes at the end of a session, there just may be an embrace. I'm sure if you guys have been following social media, the Black Men Heal, they're on a tour uh, where they're saying Black men need hugs and they're going around the country giving out hugs. You know, that's something that many boys and men have never experienced. So I just do what I can to make sure that number one, I show up so that I'm fully present. I don't allow myself to be distracted during sessions and then I just also just make sure that I'm always emanating some source of light and love because that's necessary because we're having like you said these really difficult conversations so there's always information that I'm looking for like I shared before I'm always researching I'm always reading and then I just do the, the things that people are required to do we have to take a much more holistic approach to how we care for ourselves so the things that I'm saying that I'm making as a recommendation to these men they're typically things that I've, I've done in my own life or that I've had other people do before now you know i always tell people yes i'm certified as a master life coach but most of what i bring to my sessions has come from life experiences one thing i can share with you very very plainly is that um i too am a, a victim of sexual abuse so i know what that feels like just as a girl and as a woman so i can't i can't begin to imagine what it's like for a boy or a man but i certainly understand what it means to feel like you have no power over who you are because of something that's happened to you that's a very real thing, whether you're a boy, a girl, or a man, or a woman. And so I do allow just what I remember to be some of the most raw information and, and energy that I had during my own healing process, which is a forever kind of thing. I allow that to, to be kind of eminent just in the conversations and in the tone that I set with the men, because I want them to know that I I, I know that experience is, is not of something that you probably even want to recall, let alone talk about. But just because I have had that experience, I, I think that brings a different perspective to it, as opposed to someone that may say, I've never been abused. I've never been, you know, in a space where I felt like I didn't have power over, over myself and I couldn't change the situation for myself. I think people have a different perspective. People that have been, they say hurt people, hurt people. Hurt people have a very different perspective. Traumatized people have a very different perspective about life in general, just because you're forced to because of the experiences you have. So I allow that to, to guide me in those spaces when I'm having these conversations. And then I just consider the things that I know that I'm sure that my father and my uncles and my brothers, the older men in my life, I'm sure that they wish that there was a time or wish that there was an opportunity for them to have what I'm creating now. And then another thing that, that stays with me in my sessions is the fact that I have a son. I want every boy and every man to know that there is someone that regards you in the way that you were divinely designed to be valued as. You know, so that has to stay in the forefront of my mind. And I bring that, the way I let that show up though in their sessions is just I allow that to be what emanates from my heart during those conversations. I'm a solution-based plan of action guy. Right. As a first responder, it's just the nature of the beast for me and for most of the first responders, specifically the EMTs and medics that I'm talking about. What is your solution-based plans of action typically that you talk to these young men about in regards to possibly reporting these issues to law enforcement? Oh, um, that depends. Because sometimes if you're if we're, if we're having a conversation with an adult man, if the assault and things of that nature occurred at a really long time ago, sometimes the person that has caused them this harm is like deceased mm -hmm. or they're now 
you know, just in a situation where there there would be no true consequence to the person, you know, if they even decided to disclose. And then sometimes, especially with younger people, with boys, there's a, it's a difficult dynamic to that because a lot of times the parents are not aware. Once that information becomes known, there's a lot that has to happen. There's a lot more conversation and things that have to happen before there's even this idea that there's going to be a decision made that, okay, you're going to now make a phone call to someone or you're going to now you know, fully disclose what's happened to you for the sole purpose of the people that have done this or the person. Sometimes there's multiple people, but that you want there to be some sort of consequence and some sort of responsibility and accountability held for these people, right? Yes. But that that varies. It's case by case because sometimes, even though they're disclosing this information to me, um, that doesn't mean that they're ready to disclose it to law enforcement. Okay. Sometimes they're not even ready to disclose it to their the people that are closest to them, which could be their parents or, you know, the adult men. It could be their significant other. It could be their children. A lot of times that information, if that's the first time it's being disclosed, it's very difficult to say what the solution would be in that moment because it really just depends. Not everybody's ready for the full disclosure. You know what I mean? Okay. What we're going to get law enforcement and court people involved and all those kinds of things. And then there's also this concern that if they disclose, that there may be some sort of backlash. So, you know, I'm, I'm a big person. I'm big on safety first. We have to consider what's going to happen if we take these steps. That's a very unique and very open conversation. And just depending on what they feel is best for them, because it's not for me to choose and say, you know, hey, because you told me this, now, depending on their age and just depending on the environment and depending on if the abuse is ongoing and things of that nature, there's all kinds of factors that come into play. But just depending on what that information is based on that particular person, my innate response sometimes is, oh, we need to be calling 911 right now. We need to be calling the hotline. We need to be calling this person. We need to be calling the principal. We need to be calling, you know, everybody. But they have to come to that on their own. And sometimes... Honestly, that is not always the end result of that conversation because they're not, there's so much more that can happen once that information is released. A person has to be ready for that. It may seem like, oh, because you know a thing now, we got to go do a thing and we got to go do it right now. Mm -hmm. It's a process. And and I, I also know that from my own experience, it took several, several years before I even initially disclosed the first, the first time to anybody. And that first person though was a professional, but because I was a minor at the time, she was responsible for the fact that she right. had to disclose that information to my parents, especially because of the condition I was in once I released that information. Now, safety is considered, right? You know, because now there's a concern of, um, are you going to harm yourself? Are you going to harm others? Um, there's a lot of different things that come into play once that information is disclosed. And those, so in the minor situations, they're much different than if there's a, an adult that we're having this conversation. The reason I ask that question is not only from a mandated reporter perspective, I, wanna, I want people to understand how accountability works from a subject matter expert right. point of view. It's a very delicate line that you and especially you more so than me have because you're dealing with them in a therapeutic sense. You're dealing with them right. more one-on-one. I might be with them for 15 minutes, right. maybe an hour, just depending on what the situation is when I'm doing my assessment from point of contact to next call. So I'm so glad that you mentioned those things because I'm sure that whether hotlining, calling law enforcement, getting the courts involved, even if it's on a civil perspective in terms of going after this person civilly, that has to be some very interesting conversations to say the least. So that's why I 
asked that question. And you answered it. You answered it thoroughly. Like you answered that question thoroughly. And I want to thank you for that. This is why we do the Trigger Warning Talk podcast. These conversations aren't being held anywhere else. I don't hear these questions and I'm not patting myself on the back or anything like that. I'm simply talking about the dialogue that needs to happen and the solution-based plans of actions that have to accompany the dialogue. Because if we're just talking, keep it going. Keep it moving. That segues into journaling because you said you have to write some of this stuff down because you can't hold it in. Let's talk about that real quick. Most males think of journaling in one of two ways. Journaling to men equals diary equals girl shit and they don't want to do it. (laughs) As silly as that sounds, that is true. (laughs) Wait, don't make me laugh. Or... They say, I don't have time for all that. You know, I ain't going to keep up with all these fucking journals and all this stuff or whatever. Like, I know people that got journals from 1971. Someone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can barely keep up with the number of underwear I got. You want me to keep up with a journal? Like, going away? Like, yes. how did you talk to guys about journaling? <laughs> yes. And, you know, we're laughing, but it's such a, it's yes. such a this is a very positive it is solution. Very... Though. But what you're saying, again, this is why we're talking about the narrative and words and things. But those are the kind of ideas that, you, like you said, um, so it's, it's easier to do as a suggestion for a solution with, with younger children just because, you know, that's something that children are are more willing to, to try something new, right? Yeah. That even though they have this fear, they still all have a very high level of curiosity because they're like, what if this does work for me? So I want to try it. If you're saying I could try it, and then, you know, if they hold you in a certain regard, then when you make that suggestion, they're willing to do it. The difficult ones are, are you gentlemen that are, you know, that have graduated through several stages of life and you're like, I'm not doing that, you know, and they're very, and you're saying the same things that you just said. A lot of people, again, they associate information with what we recommend to girls and women. One of the things I did when I first, it's been a few years now, but one of the things I created very early professionally, and this was even before I did books, I created a little, it was like a $10 journal for men. And basically all I did was, it was a whole lot of empty lines, but there were prompts inside of the journal to kind of get you, like if you took a moment to sit still with yourself, that you know, because if you're working, you know, like, or you're an entrepreneur like you are, or you have a really hectic schedule or hectic life or full life, to have you even pause to sit still long enough, you may not, you may need a little bit of uh, coaching or a little bit of, you know, nudging in a direction of how to now reset your perspective to focus on yourself a little more. And the goal with the journaling is to make it a very deep conversation with yourself. We, we don't want to be talking about superficial things. So I actually put prompts inside of the journals. Um, and there were several of the men that I kind of stayed very closely uh, in contact with to even just gently remind them, even if you feel like this is not something you can do. Like there was one gentleman, he was like, I couldn't do this every day. He said, but I think I know I could sit still with myself at least once a month. Great. Make that your time that you do that. If it's only once a month, you know how people always say, oh, consistency is key and I can't deal with people's level of consistency. I like to say that consistency is based on that person's original character part. If for you, King LP, consistency means that you're able to do a thing one time every 30 days, then that's what's true for your character. That's the only thing you can hold yourself to. But if someone comes along and tries to make you and say, you know what, LP, I need you to do this five times in a month. 
and you're like, well, I can't do that. Now they're now discrediting your character and who you are and all these different things because you can't meet a quote-unquote expectation, which is something we'll talk about later. And now you're feeling like you're less than, your, your value just decreased because you can't meet this. One thing I make very important in the space of the journaling process is that it's all about you. It's all about you. It has nothing to do with anybody else. This is sacred information. You know how you've probably heard people say, hold some things to yourself. These conversations, they're very sacred to you, yourself. I like to say, me, myself, and I. Those conversations are for me, myself, and I. They're not for anyone else. So you may not ever share what's in your journal. You may choose to at some point with certain people, but initially, the goal in journaling is to get you to honestly self-reflect with yourself. Now, depending on how hard that's been for you in your lifetime, it may be very difficult for you to sit still and have some honest moments with yourself. But typically what can happen is just giving you the suggestion that when you sit still today, King, this is what I want you to focus on when you decide to write in this particular part of your journal. And it was just very brief statements. There was another thing I included in there that um, I like to use positive affirmations, which is not something that typically you hear boys and men talk about, right? But I included positive affirmations. And then just, again, just really, really short statements of perspective to get them to kind of condition their mind right in the moment to say, I'm going to sit with myself and this is what I'm going to focus on right here. Um, And it helped a lot. And surprisingly, over time, it became a tool for them. And it became something that they really appreciated and respected and became part of their, you know, their solution based options, just in how they dealt with themselves and how they even navigate their lives on a day to day basis. So it's possible to certainly use that as a solution. Um, It can be very helpful and very insightful. It can create a very high level of relief just in the moment, because maybe, like you said, we're not always available 24 seven to people that need us as a resource. Right. Mm -hmm. But they will, they will remember me when they say, you know what, this is the journal that coach love recommend. This is the journal she gave me. And, you know, I'm going to use this. I I respect what she's offered in the past and I'm going to try this to see if it works. And then now when it starts working, I'm getting this phenomenal feedback. So it's something that I recommend that men do, period. Journaling could be a thing that you start now and continue throughout the rest of your life. It may be something that you do periodically. Maybe you're just at a very crucial time in life or you're going through a very specific uh, transition where you need to release. And that means that you want but you want to release, but maybe you don't want to tell Coach Love, right? Maybe you don't want to call King LP on the hotline and tell him. But you can sit with yourself and always be comfortable in that because that information is all for you anyway. It's between you and whoever you believe the higher power is that brought you to the space, right? So use that because that's the one time that nobody can judge you. Nobody can take that information away from you. Nobody can use that information to manipulate you in any way, shape, or form. So I like to say, value yourself enough, love on yourself enough as a boy and a man to give yourself that. Because one thing I say that every man deserves, every boy deserves, or every human deserves, we all deserve the opportunity to recondition the character of our heart back to love. The way you do that, have honest conversations with yourself. And it means something when you write something down. I don't care. Every, every person that's ever been in education, any psychologist, any person that'll tell you there's a difference in saying a thing to yourself and there's a difference in writing things. Mm-hmm. There's something about putting pen to paper or pencil to paper, whatever you want to use. Um, and it's different from typing because I ne- I don't recommend you just get on the computer. I had one guy say, well, can I just put it on the computer and type it? You probably can, but the impact's going to be different. There's something to be said that happens to you mentally, emotionally, and spiritually when you write something. So that's why I recommend writing in the journal. And it's very powerful. And it, it can certainly be life-changing if you allow it to be. Okay. And I was going to ask you about that preference for you. with Because especially now with everything being digital and 
you know, I got iPads and all these yeah. other Apple devices. And, you know, my wife, she got me the biggest iPad or whatever. So, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm taking my notes and stuff. And she's like, and we just bought these uh, paper-like screen covers that you can put on the iPad. So when you write on it, it feels like you're writing on it. And I was like, man, right. you know, that's cool. That'll get me to journaling more. It'll get me to writing more because, you know, I'm still, you know, with the notebook and the pen and stuff or whatever. But I'm I'm transitioning over to the electronic media. But I'm glad that you mentioned that, that you prefer them to put pen to paper. And like I said, even if you have a tablet or something like that, if you can write on that tablet, that's still the equivalent of writing on paper, I would presume, instead of typing. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. I want to Only jump in the space to take away the digital part, because you know something okay. about the screen does something different to you mentally, emotionally than if you just have you know pen and paper. Um, and then, like you said, because of the fact that we're so technology based now, the goal when you're with yourself, you've heard me say before, is to be as naked as possible. Right. Yeah. You remove yeah. all the objects, you remove all the things, and you allow yourself to have as a sacred a moment as you can with yourself. The way to do that is to make yourself feel as naked as possible in that moment because the goal in that is vulnerability and transparency. Something about it just being you, the pen and the paper, is different than if you're typing on the screen or even, like you said, writing on the screen or simulating that you're writing by using a, a, an electronic device. This is the Trigger Want to Talk podcast. We are here <laughs> talking with our friend, Coach Love. We are talking about... Hey. The male heart work journey through domestic violence and sexual trauma. I want to ask you about your work as an author. You've penned three books. Can you talk about that? Sure. The first book is very specifically titled Heart Work, The Self-Love Trifecta. And in that book, the subtitle is The 12 Benefits of Practicing Forgiveness, Gratitude, and Positive Affirmations. I believe that that's the foundation of you reconditioning your heart back to love. We have to learn how to practice self-love in a way that's wholesome and that's natural and that's really unique to our character at heart. Everyone is different. So we should be practicing in a way that's going to be the most beneficial and, like you said, the most solution-oriented for each of us. And I actually specifically wrote that book first because I wanted that book to be something that everyone could read. Because even though I very specifically work directly with boys and men, we all have, as women, we're all connected to a whole lot of boys and men, right? Mm -hmm. So that's work that we all need to be doing just on ourselves, right? So, and that's a book that can be shared. Um, honestly, my 11-year-old son can read it, and, and my dad can read it. You know, it's that kind of book. And it's, it's a great resource in the space of you learning about self-love. And then the next book after that is called uh, Dear Gentlemen, Two Separate Words, Healing is for You. And that book is very specifically just having a very, very personal and very honest and hopeful conversation with boys and young men and, and just men, a, a male of any age, about the importance of wanting to embark on your healing journey, um, the necessity of it. And the sacredness of it, but the reality of it too, right? Um, there's a very real thing about you deciding that you're going to now do this work. And, and it is true. I say all the time that hard work is the hardest work that you will ever do for yourself. But it's a gift that you that you deserve. And it's a gift that you owe yourself as a boy and a man. So there's this just a healthy conversation around the fact that healing is something that's not just designed for everyone else around you. It's also designed very specifically for you. If you're willing to be courageous enough to embark on that journey, there's a resource for you. And when you're ready to commit to yourself in that way, there are so many professionals that are willing to assist you in that space. And then the last book is called The Gentleman, One Word versus The Gentleman, Two Words. Again, there is a difference. The purpose 
book is, again, to change the narrative around what it means to be a gentle man. Men have been taught that gentlemen means that they have to make sure that they prioritize how they carry themselves based on them prioritizing everyone else before themselves. The reality is that we all, as individuals, the self-preservation is the first law of nature for a reason. Boys and men have not been taught that it's okay to prioritize themselves. So in that, I'm saying that it's okay for you to not only prioritize yourself, but to be gentle with yourself in that prioritization, right? So it's a, just a different kind of conversation. All of those books, again, have been designed to, to have a very young person read them and up to any age. And they're designed to just have a healthier conversation about what all those different concepts about healing and self-love and, you know, forgiveness and gratitude, affirmations, all of those things that there's a very, there's a very different narrative that can be painted for you as a boy and as a man if you're willing to seek out that kind of guidance. And I just want to be the person that does it in a very healthy way. You know, there's we, we can have conversations about evolution without there being name calling, without using derogatory terms, you know, all those kinds of things. There are times when that information is needed, but if the goal is to get to teach you to be gentle, we have to change some of that vocabulary, some of what those processes look like. So that was, and then that's the thing that a book is something that can forever be a resource. You may not be able to get directly to a person um, but one thing I know to be true, you can go to the store. You may not be able to get a therapy session that costs you 50 bucks or 100 bucks in a week, you know, every month or every two weeks. But someone could definitely purchase a book for you that's $20 or $25 if you order it online and give that to you as a gift. And you now have a gift that you can keep giving to yourself. You now have a resource that you can reflect upon whenever you need it. And it's something that you'll always have. And that's the beginning. Because the other part is my goal in writing was that I want men to have at least a beginning, an early resource in their healing journey, right? Because sometimes you may not be, you might not be ready to say, let me call up the therapist or let me call this hotline. But you probably can very well comfortably sit still somewhere and read a book. I just want that to be the beginning. Like you said, that's the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. But for many men and boys, they don't even have that. So I thought if I created those things first, that now gives you a, a step one, right, in the direction of you doing your heart. Where can people get these works of yours? Um, you're welcome to find me on Instagram. That's my favorite uh, social media platform. Oh, and I, I'm getting a little, I'm getting a little into these clubhouse streets, you know, with KLP yeah. and some of the guys. Um, you can definitely catch me on Clubhouse on Tuesdays. I'm, I'm, I'm usually in the men's mental health room. But if you go to my Instagram profile, there's a link there that'll take you to the websites that have um, the coaching, the books. And then there's also a, a general link tree website that you can click on that has the book titles, also has previous interviews. This one will be on there at some point right. um, where you can just kind of, you know, fill me out and see if Coach Love is, is the person that you would like to be a resource for. But I'm definitely always in the internet streets and, and you'll catch me, you know, out here at somebody's forum having a conversation trying to change the narrative and i do have your link tree listed on the screen here and so people that are watching this podcast they'll be able to see that but i'll have your ig and your link tree posted in the show notes for everybody that wants to reach out to you get your books reach out to you for counsel consultations or whatever they want because you are also a speaker coming, yeah. back outside. coming back outside i want to ask you one more question and this is not about domestic violence this is not about sexual trauma this is just about you and this is an end question that we strive to ask everybody if you were to write a letter or an email to your younger self, what would you say? Uh, I would say, I am love. And I would say, be as patient and as gracious with yourself as possible. 
and you have everything in you that you need to do and be whoever you want to be. That's awesome. I love it. Coach Love, I want to personally thank you not only for being the guest here on the Trigger Want to Talk podcast, you being someone who focuses your subject matter expertise on men. That's just so touching to me because, again, we just, we don't like talking about our shit. And it's like finding the needle in a haystack when it comes to being a, being able to not only get those men to see you because you're a woman. So I'm sure when they come in contact, they're like, ah, 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 you know, all of those. I'm sure you can, we could probably talk for another hour just about all the negative stuff that you've encountered when when people hear about you as a provider for these mental health issues, as well as when they see you in person, you know, this is just a wonderful thing that you're doing that you focus on men and men's issues. So again, I want to thank you sincerely from the bottom of my heart. And as we close out, as we close out, I, I appreciate that I'm even able to be here today. So thank you so much. No, no problem. As we close out, what would you say to men who are suffering from these traumas? What would you like to say to them? I would say you matter. You deserve respect. You deserve honor. You deserve to be valued um, in the highest regard. And you, it's okay for you to feel however you feel. The thoughts that you're having, you're a human being. So you are welcome to live out your life however you see fit. Whatever feels most authentic to you, please give yourself permission to live in that. You belong here. You're meant to be here. And there are people here that are willing to see to it that you continue your evolution. Coach Love, we love you so much. You are always welcome back here on the Trigger Warning Talk podcast. You know, you're someone that I could talk to every day and twice on Sunday. I'm going to be seeing you in these clubhouse streets. And I'm sure we're going to be working on a number of projects together in the men's mental health room on Tuesdays and some of the other things that I've, I've been thinking about and that I'm doing with some other groups like the Men ESN, the Empowerment Support Network. Awesome. I want to thank you thank so you. much. You are always welcome to come back here anytime, any day, any place. We can always talk about more issues or get more into some of these topics because we just kind of scratched the surface. And again, we deep dive, so we got our scuba gear. We're just drying it off right now. You know, this is just a, a short test run. We're going to go deeper next time into the abyss. Thank you so much for being the person that you are. Peace and blessings be upon Thank you forevermore. You so much. We're gonna... Thank you. And it's certainly a privilege to know you too as well, King. I look forward to the future and I look forward to, to being of service to you and, and those of you that you connect with because we're better together. If we can do this together, it'll be much more impactful. That's right. We're going to jump to the missing person component of the podcast, and you're more than welcome to stay on. This is a case about the St. Louis Jane Doe. I want to read you the notes from Mrs. LP, who is our resident true crime expert, missing person expert. She's one of our rape advocates that help us. She does a lot of the administrative stuff in the background on the podcast. So this case is about, they call it the St. Louis Jane Doe. She's an unidentified girl who was found murdered in an abandoned house on February 28th of 1983 in St. Louis, Missouri, my hometown. She's also been nicknamed Hope, Precious Hope, and the Little Jane Doe. The victim 
and I'm just reading the notes. The victim was estimated to be between 8 and 11 when she was murdered, and she's believed to have been killed by strangulation. She was raped and decapitated. The brutality of the crime has led to a nationwide attention, and the head of the Jane Doe has never been located. Entering dental examination and possibility of a traditional facial recognition. Now, this was a young melanated girl. And again, 99% of the cases that we do are melanated men, women, and children. And I'm going to play it. This is from the local affiliate in St. Louis, Fox 2 News. St. Louis Metro Police Department cold case unit has been operating for only about a year and a half, but has already closed 10 cases. Yeah, now they are turning their attention to one of the department's most notorious and disturbing investigations, the case of Little Jane Doe. Fox News' Catherine Hessel has an exclusive look behind the closed doors of an office now dedicated to this case. The circumstances surrounding this case were so horrific it garnered national attention. It's haunted detectives who have worked it, but now new detectives are reopening the case 37 years later. What was done to this child is it, simply horrendous. Raped, murdered, decapitated. February 28, 1983, two men looking for scrap metal to fix their car lit a cigarette in the basement of an abandoned apartment building on Clemens Avenue. The light illuminates the body of a young girl. We know the child was uh, sexually assaulted, and we know the child was uh, decapitated. Detectives believe the child was between 8 and 11 years old. She was found with just a yellow v-neck sweater on, her hands bound behind her back with red and white nylon rope. Investigators believe that she was beheaded elsewhere, then dumped in the basement and found about five days later. Detectives worked tirelessly on the case, calling it one of the most sickening in memory. They traveled all over the country following up on leads. The detectives at that time did a remarkable amount of work. Uh, there's, there's, I, I can't imagine anything they left unturned. But ever since then, we still haven't been able to, one, identify her. And just as importantly, we have not been able to identify the suspect. Eventually, the case went cold. Then in 2013, homicide detectives exhumed the body to gather any type of scientific evidence that could now be tested. They learned the child was most likely from the Southeast or Midwest, but they're still far from having all the answers. We can do any number of scientific research and analysis on this case, and none of that supplants someone coming forward and just telling us that, hey, I remember a little girl who disappeared. Now the newly formed St. Louis City Cold Case Unit has a room devoted just to the case of little Jane Doe. We're running through the facts, running through the case, we're examining all the old records, and we're once again in a position to ask from the public. The head of the St. Louis Metro Homicide Division, Lieutenant Scott Aubuchon, says little Jane Doe was found with red polish on her fingernails. It looks like she was well cared for. We believe the child wasn't homeless. So yeah, it stands to reason that their friends, their family were involved with this child. Um, they were aware of the child. He still believes that someone knows something. An eight, nine, 10, 11 year old girl just doesn't disappear without people taking notice of it. We're now 37 years later on. And I think if anyone was reluctant before to talk about it, now's the time to come forward. I mean, if anyone knows of any little girl, we're interested in anything. Abishan says they haven't gotten a worthwhile tip in this case in 10 to 15 years. But now's the time for detectives, the department, and St. Louis to name little Jane Doe and her killer. We owe it to this little girl to do something. If you have any tips on this case or any other cold case, you can call the St. Louis Homicide Department. I'll put that number in this story online. 
Reporting, I'm Catherine Hessel. So, again, the case of St. Louis Jane Doe. You guys know me being from St. Louis that I love talking about missing persons cases from my hometown. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina now. If you have any information to help these detectives find out not only who killed our little our little princess, because she would be a queen now. She'd be an adult now. If you have any information, and it could be good, bad, ugly, or indifferent, contact the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department. I will put that contact number and information in the show notes also. You can also contact Fox 2 News. I will have the link to the story in the notes for this podcast. I want to thank the St. Louis Metropolitan Police Department. There are a lot of issues that were going on in St. Louis, and especially with the police department. That one right there gives me all the hope in the world that they got a whole division set up just for the research to find out what happened, who did it to this young young girl. So that right there gives me pause for the cause to say, you know what, there's always hope. Absolutely. This is the Trigger One and Talk podcast. Live in awareness. Don't live in fear. Keep your head on the swivel. Be safe. And until next time, peace and blessings be upon you, your family members, forevermore. LP out.